Hey, um, what an honor it is to be with you today. What a beautiful day. Can we just thank the Lord for the Central Coast and where we live and this beautiful region, this beautiful state and beautiful nation that we get to call home. What a blessing it is. Amen. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Today, I have a, a really simple message called a blueprint for gospel explosion. Say that with me. A blueprint for gospel explosion. A blueprint print for gospel explosion. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, we're kind of unpacking the different dynamics of this little catchy saying that the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart a month or so back. We follow Jesus fish for people as a family. Anyone remember that phrase? We follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. That's what we do. We follow him. We invite others along the way. And we do Jesus stuff together with our spiritual family. Invite the world to partake, to participate. We get to do that anywhere and everywhere. And each Sunday that we gather, we look at each other in the whites of our eyes, behind our masks, and we say, this is what we're about. We follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. This is our vocation. We're disciples of Christ. We're students. Jesus is the teacher, and his life and lifestyle are the curriculum, and the Holy Spirit is our personal inner tutor who enables us to do the stuff. Amen? Okay, six of you got that, but that's the intro. So I was thinking, you know, one of my favorite windows of an explosive move of God's good news of the gospel is found in the book of Acts chapter 17. I just want to draw out a few implications. We're actually going to land in the book of 1 Thessalonians, this this church that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit was birthed in three short weeks, but whose faith echoed hundreds of miles around their little faith community. And as I was studying for this passage and studying for this message, I thought, man, Lord, Pastor Andrew, my brother, always says this, if he did it then, he can do it again. Come on, say that with me. If he did it then, he can do it again. How many want to see a gospel explosion in our day where there are all sorts of narratives and streams of thought and ideologies and swirly swirls How many would love the gospel to be like a sharp sword that cuts through all of that and people could find themselves in God's story saved and healed and set free and established in grace and enabled to participate in a life that leads to flourishing and abundance and blessing? Anybody want that, to see that in our day? And so it's just this very, I'm just going to read this story. It's only nine verses. Paul is in Thessalonica, this this city that is super strategic, connecting three key parts of the world to the north, south, east, and west for that matter, four key parts. This metropolitan free city, Paul rolls into town after getting beat in the previous town, Philippi, and he only has three weeks. He preaches the gospel. I'm just going to read it instead of comment. Here we go. Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths. Everyone say, for three weeks. Three weeks in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. 
He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and women and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and to start a riot. Does that sound like a contemporary uh, commentary on our day? They attacked the home of Jason. They were searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. But not finding them at Jason's house, they dragged Jason out instead and some of the other believers and took them before the city council. Listen to this indictment. Oh. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. These two men. For preaching the gospel. One translation say they're turning the world upside down. How many know the world doesn't need to be turned upside down? It needs to be turned right side up. In the kingdom of God. These two messenger missionaries who just got beat and in prison when they were trying to plant a church 100 miles to the southeast in Philippi. The indictment is these two guys are turning the whole world upside down and they came here to our town too. How many would love that to be your reputation? A world-changing, upside-down troublemaker. Come on, where's my rebels, my Jesus rebels in the house? Let's go. And they shouted, now they're here disturbing our city too. How many think, this is a side note, i got to stay to my notes because i got stuff to get through. Man, okay, I'm just going to stick with the notes. Sticking. Jason welcomed them into his house, and they're all guilty of treason against Caesar. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. What an indictment. Troublemakers stirring up the world. They've defied the decrees of Rome, of the emperor, of the empire. They say there's another king who demands full allegiance named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil at the reports. How many want Christianity and just the pure gospel of Jesus and the kingdom to become sharp again? We're so stinking domesticated, so individualized and privatized. We've lost the weight of the simplicity of Jesus is Lord and King. He demands full allegiance. Serve Him. Get in on the business of His kingdom. Turn from yourself to Him. We've lost it. We've lost it over hundreds of years of translation, but by God's grace, we can recover it. So, After the whole turmoil, imagine the whole city. I mean, this is a town of almost 200,000 people. Kind of just like Santa Maria, just shy. But the whole town is in uproar because two dudes. Two guys who are proclaiming there's another king. Come on, say that with me. There's another king. There's another king. There's another king. And so the officials forced Jason and all the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. And I thought, my goodness, this little three-week, Paul stayed two years in Corinth, I think close to three years in Ephesus. Paul had a 
accustomed to go to a certain place and setting up shop. Why I was so fascinated by Thessalonica, this key metropolitan city, is he only had three weeks. But how many know that God's grace breathing on three weeks of spirit-filled, gospel-centered, Jesus-soaked, another king proclamation, Jesus can do more with three weeks of obedience than a lifetime of striving in the flesh. And how many know, man, it's not a time to strive in the flesh. As a church, it's not a time to reach back for some old playbook. It's a time to get baptized again by the freshness of the fire of God's Spirit to rediscover the beauty and simplicity of the Gospel because the Lord wants to do more now than He's ever done before. As the wind's blowing, that was perfect. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I agree with that, Holy Spirit. So I'm fascinated by Acts 17. Three weeks, that's all they got. But Thessalonians, they got two letters. Three weeks of ministry, two letters in the New Testament, the canon of Scripture. What an unbelievable, what happened in three weeks? Come on, how many want God to do something that will cause our hearts to burn if we actually believe that a gospel explosion could happen in our day? That we're still in a year of harvest. That the Lord wants to turn many people to Himself through the proclamation and demonstration of Jesus and His kingdom. He still wants to do it. I love the simplicity of Paul's gospel, which is really Jesus' gospel, which is really Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. How many know that at the heart of the announcement of the gospel is this? Jesus Christ is Lord and King. No other Lord or King walked your shoes, bore your sin, died the death that you deserved, was raised in power and glory so that He could stuff your empty life with the fullness of His. How many believe that the simplicity of the gospel is this? Jesus is Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is the gospel in a sentence. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord. We have to ask the question, what is He Lord of? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, what is He Lord of? Jesus is Lord. What's He Lord of? Come on in the back, help me out. All of it, everything, that's exactly right. Paul could preach with the Jewish Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, and Show how the Messiah, the the, the anointed, ruling, reigning, saving, redeeming, healing King of love, He would come full of power, but He'd empty Himself of His divine rights. He would take on the scandal of becoming a curse, Galatians 3.13, so that instead of the curse of our disobedience, He could give us the blessing of His obedience and His righteousness by faith. This is the gospel. But they could summarize it, the early believers. And man, God's going to renew it in our day. That there's another king named Jesus and he is taking students in the school of his kingdom. How many are thankful, you know, how, this, how school works, you know, enrollment is open. How many believe until he splits the sky, enrollment is open. Everyone has a chance and an opportunity to come into his kingdom. Every person. Every person. Because we follow Jesus fish for people as a family. That's what we do. And so here's my question. Before we go to 1 Thessalonians 1, because I want to unpack some of the secrets of what happened in this three weeks, what could happen in us and through us as a result. 
When I think about the gospel, when you think about the gospel, the good news of what God has done in and through Jesus, then, now, and in the future. When I think of the gospel, do I think about Jesus as being another king? Just think, ponder to yourself. Do I think in terms of primarily He's my Savior for my sin, or He's a Lord and a King to whom all allegiance and affection and ambition in all of my life is to be surrendered and given over to? How many believe both are part of the gospel? Someone say amen. He is the Savior who pardons us from our sin. But how many believe He's not just the Savior from sin? He is a reigning, ruling King of an everlasting kingdom who wants to advance His government on the earth as it is in heaven. He's Savior and Lord. They're not opposed to each other. They're in harmony. But this message in Thessalonica that cut through the air like an arrow, there's a king, and it ain't Caesar. There's a king that's higher than the office in Rome. He's sitting on an everlasting throne, and he demands full allegiance and trust. Man, do I, do I, does this strike me? Think to yourself, does the council's testimony, these guys are proclaiming another king. Does that hit your heart or ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me what you're saying here. And how might this brief three-week missionary journey influence us some 2,000 years later? These are the questions that drove me to 1 Thessalonians. So turn to your Bible. We're just going to do chapter 1, and it's just, it's a, Basically, it's one long Thanksgiving prayer. I love Paul just is always praying and thanking God. But imagine if you're a father or a mother. You preach the gospel three weeks, but because persecution is so heavy, you have to leave. You can't, come on, how many would ever, like your, your kid's born, you're like, all right, good luck, raise yourself. How many would ever want to do that? None of us would do that. And so imagine in the spiritual realm, Paul is a father to this brand new church. He's preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit's moving in power. But there's persecution and animosity in this very important metropolitan city. And he has to be driven out. Imagine the pain of separation. Imagine feeling, gosh, I sure hope that their prayer and their faith can last and withstand the storm. And how many believe that unless we discover a faith and an allegiance given over to Jesus, unless we have a faith that can stand the storm and the refining fire of our age, we will not make it in the end. How many want to have a faith that's more precious than gold? How many believe that it's not the time to, to just say, oh, I have a friend who's close to God, or my, my fa- I come from a Christian family. How many believe Jesus Christ wants a fiery faith in the heart of every believer? A confidence and assurance of who they are in Christ. A confidence of what God has promised to do in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, you can have that confidence. Say that with me. I can have that confidence. Again, I can have that confidence. I can have a faith that's been refined by fire. I can have a faith that withstands the storms that are coming and that are already in the earth. And so Paul writes this letter... 1 Thessalonians, because he had to get out of town. He travels to the next town, Corinth, as in 1 Corinthians 18. He gets to stay there for almost two years. Unfair. And many scholars believe it's in Corinth, just down the road, 
a bit, he writes back to this church that he only got three weeks with. Is everybody tracking with the background? Thessalonica, gospel explosion, city riot. They have to leave. He writes a little letter back just to check in on them. Are you guys okay? Are you staying true? Are you staying, are you staying with the gospel? And this is our context for First Thessalonians. So let's read it together. What a beautiful prayer and thanksgiving. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and He's chosen you to be His people. Now here's what happens. Many of us, when we read the Bible, how many ever skip the beginning parts of the letters? Come on, raise your hand. Every hand should be raised. How many skip through or skim parts? You think... Oh, it's a throwaway. Let's get to the body of the letter. But I want you to know there's something that's packed here in these first four verses we cannot miss. Number one. Everyone say number one. Paul's vision of the church is not just of some any old social gathering or assembly of people. It's not primarily a human institution that has human concerns at its center. Paul locates the church in God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if the apostle didn't have this theology, he would be gutted to have to leave a church he only got to spend three weeks with. But because Paul knows that the gospel and its announcement, its embodiment, when people repent and respond to the lordship and saving power of Jesus, they are brought into a reality that does not fully depend on man. It is on God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. How many believe that however difficult external circumstances may be, if you are a part of God's people, you are in God the Father and in God the Son, Jesus Christ, by God the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's really good news. When everything feels like it's shaking, Paul locates the church. You guys find your identity in Him, not in me. And this is one of the things that the Lord is cleansing us in the West, in the church, where church can be built on personality. Our personality's bad? No. Our style's bad? No. Our preference is bad? No. But the Lord, in, the, in this last hour, the Lord wants the church to be assured of this truth that's not just in a doctrine theology book. It is, it, it's, it's foundational to our very life. Church revolves around God the Father and God the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit. Not around me, not around you. It's around Him and He invites us to participate and play. So when Paul says... You belong to God the Father and Jesus Christ. He's not just writing a throwaway line. This is his own confidence that even though I was only with you for three weeks, there's one who will be with you to the end of the age. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What else does he say? Your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope. I love this. One commentator said, this is a great definition for church. A community that's loved, say loved, chosen, and rooted in God. 
drawing its life from Him and exhibiting the life of Him in faith, in love, and in hope. How many have ever heard that phrase, faith, hope, and love? Turn to your neighbor and say, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. We see Paul write his favorite power-packed triad, faith, love, hope, whatever the order, faith, love, hope, faith, hope, love. How many believe that faith, hope, and love is a pretty good definition for a practicing believer who's learning to live and walk and move and have their being in Jesus Christ? That's why Paul writes it everywhere, faith, hope, and love. And again, what stands out here is Paul is writing confidently because their, their, their identity is founded in the person of God. He knows because they're rooted there, his reality by grace and through faith will become their reality and expressed in and through their lives. How many believe God doesn't just want us to partake of his life, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. He wants that life to flow to us and then through us to those around us. beautiful. Every Christian, I love this, one commentator said this, is a believer, a lover, and a hoper. Faith, hope, and love. Say that with me. I'm a believer. I'm a lover, and I'm a hoper. One more time. I'm a believer, a lover, and a hoper. Faith that works, love that labors, and hope that endures. How many believe, James said, show me your faith without deeds, James chapter 2, and I will show you my faith by what I do. How many believe that faith works? And it's so unfortunate as children of the Reformation, we have pitted these two glorious kingdom dynamics, faith and work, against each other. How many believe you can't do a single thing to earn right standing with God? Hallelujah, it's called His grace. But... When we come to God in our emptiness, barrenness, brokenness, and sin, and we receive His cleansing, His mercy, we're brought from death to life, that that faith that brought us into that saving encounter will, by the grace of God, become a faith that is energized to begin to embody and express the life of Jesus Christ in our everyday stuff of life. This is why Paul says, your faith works, and then your love labors. How many know this? I love this. Love is way more than just a word. Love labors. Your faith is causing you to work and you're you're putting your, your faith into action and through your attitudes, through your life and your lifestyle. And you do this because there's a love that's compelling you. There's a love that's enabling you to labor. How many think your neighbor needs you to labor? Oh, that was good. I was thinking this morning as I was running, love always calls out and looks through the eyes of you're not a finished project so I'm going to love you until your end becomes your current reality this is why love has to labor how many know that in a marriage you need a laboring love because your spouse isn't always going to get it unless you're married to Haley Bohai so faith works love labors say that with me faith works love labors and hope endures We do all of this because Jesus Christ will come and make all things new. He'll come finish what He started. Verse 5, we're almost done. For when we brought you the good news 
it was not only with words, hear it, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern from you, from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. And in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Man, how many want to see just a spirit of joy light our church and our city and our region on fire? How many believe that joy doesn't have to be dependent on your bank account? How many want to say amen for that? Your job, your education level, the amount of fans or followers. The Lord wants to release joy that comes on the other side of obedience and receiving and cherishing His good news that comes to save, heal, and redeem your life. Jesus Christ wants you and I to be full of joy, overflowing with joy, even in the midst of great suffering and difficulty and adversity. That joy is tied not to your situations or circumstances, but a joy that is tied to the person of the Holy Spirit. How many believe that there's always two realities? What I'm facing, what I'm seeing with my eyes, and then what is true of me as I'm communing with God by the Holy Spirit. How many want this reality to infuse and inform this reality instead of this reality infusing and informing this reality? Are you tracking with me? Oh, I'm having a bad day. It's pretty tough. It's grumpy. And then you feel far from God. What if it was, I'm never far from God. He never leaves me or forsakes me. This reality is meant to inform and infuse this reality. And that's what's happening here when Paul writes to this, small, this little church that's just a few months old. Even though you had great trials, you received the gospel. The Holy Spirit came with power and He planted a seed of joy on the inside of you. How many want a seed of joy to be planted in their heart today? Holy Spirit, I pray that joy over your people. Even now. And then here to end the passage. As a result of you receiving the gospel of power, of you enduring suffering in a spirit of joy, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia, Donia, and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. Even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome that you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. I want you to see this. Here's the, here's the progression. Thessalonica. Pagan city. Two missionaries roll into town. Preach the gospel. People respond to the lordship of Jesus. They begin to walk in that faith, hope, and love. They received the message. The Holy Spirit came with power. They were brought into Jesus' kingdom. And now, in just a few short weeks, this brand new community of faith is preaching and proclaiming the gospel that everywhere Paul goes as a missionary, he's hearing about the faith of this small group of believers in Thessalonica. Listen to that progression again. They've never heard Jesus. They respond and receive Jesus. They imitate the apostles' faith. They endure hardship. 
because the Holy Spirit's producing joy in spite of circumstances. And as a result, they're beginning to announce in the Greek, it's ring out. It's the only time it's really used. It's this explosive, just this like, it's this, uh, I was reading in commentaries, it's like thunder that's going forth. The gospel's being announced. Believers, what I'm trying to explain to you is this is supposed to be normal Christianity. The gospel comes with Holy Spirit and power. I receive it and respond to it. And then I became a proclaimer and an announcer like thunder, like a trumpet. If He did it for me, He can do it for you. We've, I'm not even going to put you in it. I've lost the simplicity of this. I don't live with an up-to-date constant reality of how good news the good news really is the good news I don't always remember what my life was like because I was born into a Christian family and been following the Lord since I was a teenager and it's not like I want to go back and remember how terrible my sin was I mean God doesn't want you to live there but how many believe he wants to renew the wonder of your salvation that you would become a proclaimer and a herald if he did it for you he can do it for anybody how many remember what their life was like B.C., before Christ. Anybody remember that story? Your story. And I love this progression. It should not be the exception to the rule. Never heard of Jesus. Responded and received Jesus. Began to walk and grow in their faith. And like a thunderous trumpet, began to declare, if He did it for us, He can do it for you. In this one little passage... The recipients and the receivers become the models and the teachers. Come on, someone say it's time to grow up. Come on, it's time to grow up. It's time to go on in the Lord. This is not just for the extroverts. Come on, someone say it's not just for the loud. It's not just for those who are more confident in their speaking. This is the call for every believer to receive and respond to the Lordship and the claim that Jesus is King. And then to grow in faith hope and love and to become one who through their word, attitude, action, and deed proclaims that there is one who could save you and he could save anybody. Come on, how many want this the Holy Spirit to baptize you fresh today with the simplicity of following Jesus fishing for people as a family? That's what we're talking about here. Just this simple word. John Stott, the great preacher and written a hundred books, He said this, how is the gospel spread the best? How is the gospel spread the best? It's very simple, he says. It's neither organized nor computerized. It's spontaneous. It's not expensive. It costs precisely nothing. We might call it holy gossip. I love that phrase. Look what he says. It's the excited transmission from mouth to mouth of the impact the good news is making on people. Come on, look at this. It's the excited transmission of the impact that God and the good news of His grace are making on everyday people. It might sound like this. Hey, have you heard what happened to so-and-so? Man, they had an addiction. God broke that thing off. Praise God. Hey, have you heard about so-and-so? They were looking for a job and a friend, a brother in the faith. 
had an opening and he hired him. And now he's not living on the streets. God's rebuilding his life. Hey, have you heard? Come on, how many believe it's time to, to walk in holy gossip? To begin to just proclaim and declare the little, good, awesome, big, mighty, small, hidden things that God is doing through Jesus Christ. What if this, listen, oh man, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Did you know that such and such person came to believe in God? Did you know that so and so was transformed? Did you know how many believe that this is what God wants to be on our lips? The power that the gospel is still having on people's lives. Still transforming people. It doesn't have to just be the big and huge. It can be the small. Man, instead of giving, getting even, I repented and said I was sorry. Man, instead of harboring and hoarding, when Paula gave that announcement, I felt like, man, I wanted to underwrite that $9 shipping fee for every single Operation Christmas Child box. Come on, somebody say amen. It's not just the big. How many believe if he's Lord of everything, then that means everything becomes an opportunity to bring him glory. Praise God. So John Stott says, the best way to spread the gospel Every day, Jesus followers who are just talking about what God's still doing through Jesus Christ. How many are good about talking about everything else under the sun except for that? Come on, every hand should probably be raised. The Lord's like, I want in on the conversation. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want in on. Jesus says, I want in on the conversation. The difference that I'm making. Oh, he's doing stuff, guys. It's just simple. It's not complicated. It's not, we need Pastor Chad or Pastor Andrew or Patty or someone else who's on the mic or Jade. No, every believer responding to Jesus as King, growing in a faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that endures through the end, just speaking, holy gossip, this is what Jesus is doing. Come on, this is what Jesus is doing. How many believe he's still doing stuff? This is what he's doing in my family. This is what he's doing in my finances. This is what he's doing in this friendship that was going sideways, but he broke in. This is what he's doing. This is what he's done. This is what he... And then the person is bound to ask, man, if he did it in you, could he do it in me? What do you do there? Well, here's 17 points. There's 77 passages. Here's the doctrinal basis for your... No. Hey, open up your heart. Respond to Jesus right now. Let me pray with you. Just simple stuff. And then lastly, why was their faith so dynamic? How could this brand new little community, they only got three weeks with the mighty apostle, and their faith is exploding. I think one commentator said, 200 mile radius. Oh, come on, do it in our day in Little Cornerstone Church. I mean, they're just lighting up the region with the testimony of what Jesus Christ is doing in their life. And here's why. I think, in part. Verse 9. They tell, because here, what was the testimony? What is Paul the apostle, the missionary, as he leaves and he's in Corinth, or he's in Acacia, or, is he, or he's hanging out in Ephesus, and he hears about the faith of this little church that he only got three weeks with. What is the testimony he's hearing? Here's what he's hearing. Verse 9. All of those who give, tell about your wonderful welcome, they tell how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true 
God. And this is where many of us get stuck. Has anyone ever prayed this before? Jesus, I'm guilty. Forgive me. I sinned again. Or something along those lines. And then the Holy Spirit says, perfect. I'm really good at forgiving and cleansing. There's something behind that sin that's driving your choice and it's called an idol. I want to deal with the idol, the root, so that the fruit of your life will look more and more like faith, hope, and love. And you're like, nah, I'm good. Come on, who's ever done that? You just wanted to hear, here's the fruit, here's the symptom. I feel bad because of my choices. And then the Holy Spirit's like, behind the choice, there's a root. It's called an idol. There's something deeper I want to deal with here. And you're like, nah. Listen, how many have ever lived that life and would say it is a cruddy imitation for the real thing of wholehearted love to Jesus Christ, where it's just come Holy Spirit, burn and consume every competing idol, every affection, every allegiance in my heart. Jesus is King. There's another King. That's all He announced. There's another King. And here's Christianity 101. The best way to experience Christianity and the life Jesus came to give you is not by a little nibble. It's by wholehearted plunge into the ocean of God's love. It's not, here, here, just deal with this. God will take you any way He can get you. He loves you. He gave everything when He gave His Son, Jesus Christ. Just hear me. He loves any offering. But I want you to know the secret and why their faith was being reported they weren't having a negotiation. Jesus, I will give you this, this, and this, but this, this, and this. My bank account, my finances, my sexuality, my cravings. I'm going to deal with those, but you just deal with my sin. No, the reason their faith is exploding, they discovered a secret. When you turn away from idols, you turn towards the living and true God. The fountain of all that your heart was actually craving, longing for is found in Him. All of our fountains are found in Jesus Christ. The reason their faith is so dynamic is they weren't half-hearted. They weren't saying one thing and living another. Beloved, how many want to be a person that when you speak out of your heart, it's true, it's pure, because you're being formed in the way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ? Oh, I'm closing. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I love it. This is so dynamic. We think of idols. We think of those people back then who were so primitive, bowing down to pieces of wood. How many believe we're just as primitive? We've just changed the shape of our idols. I close with this for real. Nothing is more awesome or powerful to transform our experience as believers in this hour as this simple, the gospel came to them, they welcomed it, and it rang out from them. How many want God to just renew the wonder and the simplicity of receiving, responding, and ringing out that good news that He did it in you, He can do it in anybody. 
God intends, one commentator says this, every church to be like a sounding board, bouncing off the vibrations of the gospel. Or like a satellite, which first receives the message and then transmits the message. This is God's simplest plan to transform the world. To receive, to cherish, to grow in faith, hope, and love together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then transmit that message in our words, in our deeds, our attitudes, and our actions. Here's my summary paragraph of all Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians 1. Oh, by the way, the reason they did all of this, they were looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. How many, how many believe that, we, that you and I don't really live probably with the awareness that Jesus is coming again? It's probably, how many would say, man, I could go a week or two and not think of that. I mean, many of us. Maybe, maybe you're not because of what you're reading or watching or whatever. But for these believers who are paying a price, who are, like, like many of you in your workplace, your family, one part, how many believe a huge part of the good news is that Jesus Christ didn't just come once, He's going to come again and to bring the new creation with Him. He's going to finish what He started. Come on. This is a huge part of the good news that we very seldom talk about. But it was that hope that he who began a good work would finish it on the day of Christ Jesus enabled them to endure the weight and the suffering and the difficulty because they knew none of it was in vain. Anything that's in faith, hope, or love will endure and last forever. And we all said amen. So here's the summary. The message, there's another king named Jesus. Messengers and the message were anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. The response, turning from idols to serve the living and true God. A faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that endures. The very ones who received the message imitated the messengers. They endured the suffering with joy, and they themselves became the models and the messengers of what they first received. This, my friends, is to be normal Christianity. Father, I just want to pray, invite the band up. I want to have just a minute. We've got a few minutes here. We're going to sing a song. But man, I just, just open your Bible. Someone grab your smartphone. If you need to move to the shade, we're literally done. I'm not saying anything else. But I just want to take a chance, a, a moment to respond. So if you want to stand, if you want to pace, if you want to walk, Obviously, if you're online, do whatever you want. But open Acts 17. Open 1 Thessalonians 1. Read those passages again over these next three or four minutes. Let this song wash over you. But let's respond to this gospel. Let's turn from our idols so that we can serve the living and true God. Let's say, Lord, if you did it then, you can do it now. Holy Spirit, search us and know us and guide us into all truth today. May we rediscover the blessing, the goodness and the glory of the message that there's another King. There's another King. Jesus Christ.
Let's respond to him.